Hello, everyone. I'm Debbie Batat, the CEO and founder of Surge, and this is Surge the Podcast, a podcast spotlighting plastic and reconstructive surgeons and aesthetic practitioners who have truly changed the medical landscape. We are talking about the journey of their incredible careers, how they built their practices, their views on creating an outstanding patient experience, and their perspectives on the latest topics and techniques in the aesthetics industry. And now we are thrilled to welcome you to Season 1, Episode 3 of Surge, the podcast. I am so honored to welcome today's guest, Professor Roy DeVita from Rome. Roy DeVita is one of the most well-known plastic surgeons in Italy. He is the head physician of the plastic surgery division of the Regina Elena Cancer Institute in Rome. He has been head surgeon in more than 10,000 surgical operations, and he has graced the podiums of the most prestigious medical educational conferences in the world, and we're thrilled to have him today as our guest. Today's episode addresses the Italian experience during the COVID-19 pandemic from the perspective of Roy De Vita, an insider physician working in one of the country's leading oncological institutes. Today, we will discuss his view of the situation, how it is affecting the public healthcare system as well as private practices, what can be done to mitigate the risks and how this may affect the future of plastic, reconstructive, and aesthetic medicine. Welcome, Professor Roy DeVita. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So as a start, can you please tell us about the progression of the illness in Italy from the early cases until now? Well, I think that in Italy, what happened, what exactly what is happening all over the world, First stage is nothing more than a flu. Unfortunately, it is not true. Probably the contagious is very easy, and the number of people that get infected is unbelievable high. And only a small portion of this population getting in real trouble. But unfortunately, the trouble are really important. Why? Because the problem that this virus causes to the lungs and the pulmonary apparatus are unbelievable high. And what's happened? That single person has problem to breathe normally, and the change of oxygen and CO2 and O2, it started to be a great problem until the patient needs to be intubated. Unfortunately, the intensive care units are not prepared to give support to so many people at the same time. That's the real problem. The first trouble study in north of Italy, in Lombardia, is the region around Milano, where the situation is really bad, it's terrible. Luckily, in Rome, it is a little bit more easy, less number of people. We can count in hundreds, while in Lombardia, they count patients in the terms of thousands, actually, more than 5,000 now. So, in fact, how are the hospitals dealing with this right now? So you mentioned that it's a huge burden on the system, and we've read about that as well. What are some yeah. of the measures that they're taking to deal with yeah. this? 
The problem is that the very easily the doctors and nurses can get infected, and then there are problems over problems that just starts and begins. The problem is how to deal with this kind of patient in special units, how to protect yourself, because we realize that it's very dangerous for people, for older people over 70. The, in Italy, at least 90% of people that die were over 65. Then there is also a small number of young people. That is not true that young people are completely free by this kind of problem. But for sure, people that have comorbidity, and then it means other systemic disease, and are older, probably are in a dangerous area. The problem is how to manage this patient, how to divide the infected from the ones that are not yet infected. I say not yet because they become very early infected, actually. If you don't try to separate everything and to manage everything, very careful. So what's happened in the Cancer Institute where you are working? Have people been affected? How do you deal with that? What special precautions do yeah, you take? Now we became a app for oncological patients. It means that all oncological patients come to us from other hospital that needs to have spaces to admit COVID-19 patients. We try to support the other one because you know that our patients are fragile. They are the go-to chemotherapy, more than the very low defenses, personal defenses, immune uh, depression. And then it's very important that we are perfectly clean in our hospital. What does that look like when you say perfectly clean? Because normally it's a sterile environment. So do you and your staff take precautions that may be different than normally? Not like every day because we wear masks in all sections of our hospital. We try to protect ourselves, especially the patients that are very fragile. And then we wear masks much more for them than for us. Okay. You have a private practice as well. Yeah. Where you do aesthetic treatments, aesthetic procedures. So I understand that's now closed. Can you talk a little bit about the closing of your practice and how you see that playing out over the next few months? How did you manage that? Actually, just a couple of days before then, uh, our prime minister decided to stop all activities and to to close all shops. I stopped my private practice and I called all my patients. I sent an email saying that, for their safety, I prefer to close my private practice. There no more consultation, no more follow-up, no more elective surgeries. Only the urgent surgeries like breast cancer, for instance, but no prophylactic mastectomies and no for sure aesthetic surgery. Because I think it's the only way to try to reduce infection, to spread infection around. Our government decided to do it by law. It means that they stopped all professional practice, not only the medical one, but also lawyers, commercialists or notaries, everyone is stopped now. They just are guaranteed only emergencies for everyone. The scenario is terrible for next month because I think that probably the fear will stop the patient in the future. Anyway, and then also when we can restart again, I think that there will be a very slow starting. There's the fear and then there's also the economic aspect as well. Yes, with such a huge population now unemployed, losing their businesses, 
Do you feel like that's going to have a large impact on the number of aesthetic procedures? Let's say if things return back to normal, some kind of normalcy within three months, what do you think is going to happen from from an economic point of view within the aesthetic practices? It's difficult to say, but until a few months ago, I, I could say that for people generally, there are some expenses that are mandatory now. And one of these is what they spend for aesthetic, cosmetic, anyway, procedure, I mean, fillers, botox, and surgery as well. Another topic is the traveling. Traveling is the section which people spend a lot of money. I don't know now what will happen. The only thing that is good that is not only an Italian problem, but is a worldwide problem, and then probably there will be something that will help all countries need help in the future, in the very near future. And then probably the only way is to print money and to avoid a total default for everyone. And right now you are in isolation yourself. You're quarantined, at least away from your family. Is that correct? Yeah, it is correct. I go in the morning to the hospital and then I am at home like when you are in an home arrest, you know, because <laughs> completely alone, nothing to do. And then I do, don't go crazy. I try to divide the day in different activities. For instance, on Saturday and Sunday, and it's two very long days because I had 24 hours completely alone. And unfortunately, I wake up very early in the morning because usually I wake up at six o'clock and then my biological wake up give me the ring at six o'clock in the morning. And then what I do, I do a press review, reading the most important Italian and international newspaper. Then I do some gym. Then I go on internet and I look for something scientific new on the topic. Then I fill my Instagram. I do a couple of posts. Then I cook, you know, that I enjoy cooking and then I cook and prepare my lunch. I lay the table because otherwise I depress myself. It's terrible huh? to eat. Standing up is terrible. Yes. <laughs> you, you need to, to, to take care of, of yourself. Then I drink also a good glass of Italian red wine. Then I have a couple of talks with my family. I do some cross words and the days goes on. That's it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So there is a way to entertain ourselves uh, when we're by ourselves, but I'm sure it's not easy to be away. No, not easy, not easy at all. Not easy at all. Exactly. Yeah. Coming back to the healthcare system in Italy, yeah. you mentioned in the beginning what a burden this is and what it can be on the Italian healthcare system and around the world. Can you speak a little bit more about that? What do you think is going to happen over the next six months to the public and the private <sighs> healthcare system in six months to one year, given that the cases are still going up? I don't think that there will be a great impact on all patients who require surgery for pathologies in public and in private, actually. But I strongly think that there will be a tremendous impact on aesthetic surgery, for sure. I think that the fear will stop the patient, you know. I'm sure that just for aesthetic purposes, I can get sick and I can get infected. I'm sure that the OR is safe. Uh, so many questions, so many thoughts about the problem. I think that we will need not less than six months to start again with a normal practice. What would be the first thing that you would do when you reopen your practice? Thinking of what you know today. 
first thing I will call my patient, I will send an email to say that we are able to see again the patients and to do our consultation, to do our follow-up. And then with a word of mouth, the people will know easily that everything is started again. I think that the social will help us. I mean, Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter also, probably they are a good way to inform your patient that you started again. And in the Cancer Institute, so reconstruction, you believe that it's going to continue. I'm supposing in Italy, it's a publicly funded procedure. So you believe that the procedures will continue as normal? Or do you think that some of the resources will be allocated away from reconstruction and that reconstruction would be delayed? What's your thought about that? When we will able to start again, I think that there will be other problems, not for us, not for the patients. I don't know when we can do that without taking precautions or probably never will be like in the past. And I mean, for a lot of things, also for educational, you know, I think that something uh, changed for the first time completely our life in some way. Right. Do you think, however, like from an economical point of view, that reconstructive surgeries will be set aside in order to be able to care for the COVID-19 patients? Or these are two totally different allocations of government funding. Like during the next six months, you can continue to do reconstructive surgery for your patients. No, no. I think that I, I can do for sure because I think it's mandatory that public health system like the Italian one, where the health is on first place, when Johnson in the UK said, uh, we will wait for great immunity, everyone in Italy said, this is a crazy guy. Why? Because our tradition is not possible that you can put before economic reason to the public health, you know? And the only reason for what Boris Johnson said, we wait for great immunity, because he did a calculation that all of the older people will die, or anyway, the majority of that were between the older guys. It means less pressure on welfare, more young population are ready to start up again. And then from an economic point of view, probably it will be much, much better. But for us in Italy, it is really unbelievable to think in this way. And then no possibility to put economic reason just before then public health. Also, if it's a very old patient, also if he's more than 80, you have to try to save him, her, with all your strength, for sure. And then I think that for exactly for the same reasons, there will be no problems about reconstruction in the future in Italy. This portion of oncological pathway for rehab for the patient, you know? Absolutely. What guidance then can you give now to our audience of physicians and aesthetic practitioners around the world during this time? Unfortunately, I am more than 60 now and then I am. Uh, I did a lot of work in my life and luckily I can stay completely stopped for a couple of months without problems. I know that for a young surgeon, it's totally different. They don't have so much money probably, and they need to do something to work and get money, to can pay everything. I hope that the every country, every government will give help to all workers just to avoid to pay taxes if you have any scheduling this period, or in some other way, I cannot say, I'm not a politician actually, and then I don't know in which way, but 
The problem is that in this moment, it's not so safe to do surgery and consultation. It's much better to stay completely quiet and wait for a better moment. So for audiences to stay quiet... You know what's the problem? That everyone thinks that what will happen will happen to others, you know? Right. And they never think that they could be involved in some way until they are involved. And it's too late when you are involved, you know? True. And I think that's what happened to a large extent in Italy. Yeah, yeah, It took the country by a huge surprise, a huge shock. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. To give now a positive spin to the best that we can, with an eye towards the future, what can we all learn from this crisis? Probably the first thing is all of us are very vulnerable. It's enough a microscopic virus to put in need the entire world in yes. few weeks. Unbelievable. Then all of us, the, all the people that think to be superhero, that they can do everything then, like Islander, it's not true, unfortunately. And they are very vulnerable. And you can see in, in a couple of months what is happening all over the world, starting from China, then Italy, now Spain, in Madrid, an unbelievable number of deaths every day. In UK, yesterday, it was the double number of Lombardy in one day. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we can learn then humility we, as humility. Humility, exactly. Yeah, humility. You're right. Exactly. Yes. Roy, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we go into the rapid-fire final questions no, that we ask all No, guests? no. All of the best wishes to everybody to get well soon, (laughs) all over the world. (laughs) Great. So now we will conclude our podcast with the rapid fire questions, which we ask all guests a little bit off topic from COVID-19, but more personally about you as a physician. So in your field of work, who was a great inspiration for you and why? My father, he was an ENT surgeon. He was a chief for the ENT department of the biggest children's hospital in south of Italy. And then I breathed medicine at home since my childhood. I must say that he never pushed me to be a doctor. On the contrary, he tried to discourage me, telling me how hard was his job and how it requires a special attitude, actually. Mm. I didn't think that I could get something different from <laughs> to be a doctor. Wow. <laughs> And if you could recommend one guest to be on this show next, who would it be? There are so many wonderful guys that I met in my life. I would suggest someone that is not so young, but good friends like Michael Shefflin, for instance. Mm-hmm. Michael is 70 years old, a surgeon with an unbelievable experience. And he saw in his life so many things. And uh, he had the opportunity to work with so many different surgeons and he met different generations of surgeons and he's still there. I think that he has just words of wisdom that comes out from his mouth. And what would you do, Roy, if you were not a plastic surgeon? A successful writer. I mean, successful because (laughs) you need money to live, but the writer, why? Because you need only your hands. You can do your job everywhere. You don't have any kind of relationship with people. He's fantastic, you know, no patient to deal with. And <laughs> um, as George Clooney says, what else? <laughs> Successful writer, for sure. Okay. Can you tell us, please, one pivotal moment in your career? It's difficult, you know, it's difficult to answer 
probably the one in which I became chief, you know. I was 44 years old and I was young enough to have energy and enthusiasm to do what I had in my mind. Until that moment, I was obliged to do what there was in in mind of other people. And I started to manage my practice in a different way, according to my mind. And I must say that everything changed. And the pivotal moment was when I became the chief of my department. Excellent. And finally, what is the most useful tip that you have learned during your career, which you think would help others? I think that you can apply what I call the MAC system. M for methodic, A for analyze, C for compare. I mean, M for methodic because you must be methodic in your job. Every time that you go to the OR to do some surgery, you start to, to do something different. Just because in that moment, you, you realize that probably it's better. I think that you will never improve your practice because you need to learn also f- from your mistakes. And then it means that you must do, you have to schedule and do a very accurate pre-operative planning. And then you must be methodic in your job. The A is analyze because you have to analyze what you do, your results, satisfaction of the patients, your satisfaction. Everything that can teach you if you are doing better or not your job, uh, if you are doing good or not your job, if you can do something better. And the third is C for compare, comparison between your job and the other one. You have to go to national meetings and see other surgeons, what they do, their results. If they are much better than yours, it means that there is something that you have to improve in your practice and you have something that you can change. And then the best thing to do is going and visit the great surgeon and trying to learn what they do. Thank you very much. So, Roy, those are all the questions that we have for today. We really appreciate your time with us here. And it's been wonderful to have you as a guest in our third episode. And especially, we wish you the best during these challenging times. Thank you so much. Thank you to you. If you're happy with what you heard, please spread the word on your socials and don't forget to rate us. It makes such a difference. If you want to be in touch, please send us an email at info at surge.is. That's I-N-F-O at S-U-R-G-E dot I-S. Thank you for listening.